Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. Matthew, the book of Matthew, and um, about chapter 6. Perhaps you've heard of... Oh, I know, one more thing I wanted to let you know. Thank you to those who are, they've organized uh, free coffee. It's not fancy coffee, but at least it's free. We, you know, you can't do the espresso business, but tea, coffee, fancy tea, I think, chai latte. So Janice's Connect Group, I think, has been largely uh, or completely uh, uh, organizing this. So thank you, and that's available straight after the service outside in that nice sunny courtyard area. Now, Warren Buffett, you may have heard of. A few years ago, he was named the richest person in the world. He was worth $62 billion. The mind boggles. He's an American. He's known as history's greatest investor. Uh, He's got thousands of people that follow his tips and leads um, in share market investments. To give you an example of how keen people are to follow what he's got to say, he made himself available for a charity to auction off a lunch meeting with him, one lunch meeting with Warren Buffett, and the top bidder paid over $2 million just to have lunch. <laughs> Imagine that. I'm available only for a few hundred. Uh, you know, but um, uh, <laughs> he's available just for the cost of a hamburger. Yeah. Um, you know, but even though he's um, incredibly wealthy, he's lived a modest life, and he continues to work at the age of 80, he still lives in the same house that he bought in 1958 for $31,000. He's also now not the richest man in the world. He's only number three, poor guy, uh, partly because he's given away billions of dollars to charity. And he's actually announced that on his death, most of his wealth will continue to go on to charity and not to his children. He said that he wants 84% to go to specifically to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, also well-known as great um, philanthropists. He says his children are not going to get most of his wealth. Uh, He said, in his words, I want to give my kids just enough so that they would feel that they could do anything, but not so much that they would feel like doing nothing. That's very well said. Because he's seen family dynasties, He's seen how they've evolved with huge fortunes being passed down the generations, often not being a blessing to the recipients. And so it seems to me that he's got quite a good hold on money rather than money having a hold on him. In other words, he's got a good attitude towards money and that's influenced his actions with money, his his investments, his dealings, his decisions. So I want to talk about money today and I want to talk about attitude and actions because the attitude you have in life towards something will affect your actions and your actions will then affect your whole life. So, you know, if, if, if you have a an attitude that's caring towards people, you will be kind in your actions towards people and you'll end up generally being blessed as a result of that because people will tend to behave the same way to you. And if you're you know, a grumpy, negative kind of person and your actions towards others are therefore kind of, you know, unkind and selfish, then you're going to reap as you sow. And uh, if you think in, you know, say the workplace, 
If you've got a lazy attitude, a poor work ethic, you're not going to put it in, you're not going to work that hard, and you're therefore not going to reap the same rewards as if you had a better work ethic and worked hard. Um, and, and in terms of your money, your attitude towards your money and, and in turn your actions with money uh, are going to largely affect your life, particularly your, your financial world, and I want to talk about that. So it's important to have the right attitude and the right actions. Uh, in regards to money. And God tells us in the Bible how we should view money and what we should do with money. And he's not afraid to talk about money. And as you read through the scriptures, you see Jesus and also in the Old Testament talking and teaching about how to deal with finances and material possessions. And, uh, and so we want to do that. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, I want you to read with me verse 19. Jesus is speaking. And he says uh, these famous words, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's very interesting, isn't it? Where your heart will be, your treasure will be there. But he actually says it the other way around. Where your treasure will be, your heart will be also. So, you know, if you're into something, you'll put money into it. But you could see the way Jesus is saying it is almost, if you put money into something, your heart's going to be interested in that. And you put it to the test. Go and write out a check for $10,000 to a Rimba Rugby Union Club. You'll probably be interested in how they're going in the comp, you know. If you live in Woi Woi, I guarantee you'll be driving up to Arimba to watch their games. And I went there yesterday because I used to play for Arimba, but my boys have played for Gosford. And it was the clash of Arimba and Gosford, arch rivals. And the blues are on and the biffos all happening. It's all great. It was great on the sideline. I'm thinking, I can't believe I used to play this game. You know, I felt like a big wuss. And, um, but you know, if you put money into something and, and that's why God doesn't miraculously produce churches on earth and says, there, go and worship there. He says, you want to be the church? Be the church, get together, raise money, put your heart and soul into it and your finances. And so our hearts are engaged in the local church when we get connected to building programs. And we are in that historically exciting time to do that as a church. And others have already done it. And you see buildings around and you'll see people and you may not see the people because they've gone. They've gone to heaven, but when they were here on earth, their heart was involved in God's work because their finances were involved. Their treasure was there. Their heart went there also. Now also look down a couple more verses in verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow, you cannot serve God and money. Or, you know, the traditional rendering of the word money there is mammon. And some people serve the God of mammon, little g, rather than serve God himself. In other words, they're storing up treasures on earth and they're following the allure of materialism and the promises that it offers, but they're not following the command of Jesus to store up treasures in heaven by living a life of, of sacrifice and servanthood to the things of God. And so this is not the attitude we should have towards money. Jesus is telling us right there. Other people uh, maybe don't serve and, and sacrifice to money, but they're afraid of money. And I've seen this with Christians sometimes. They think, oh, money's bad. 
Money is the root of all evil. You know, well, actually, the Bible says the love of money. That's what Jesus is talking about. The love of money is the root of evil. And money in itself is neither inherently evil or good. But some Christians are afraid of money. They're afraid of what it might do to them. They're uh, afraid you know, of it. They, they want little to do with it, and so they end up with little of it. And, um, and that's a shame because then they have little opportunity to use it for good. And so in the right hands, money can be good. Uh, and it's a, it's a great tool for making a, a positive difference in the world, as long as we have the right attitude towards it. Derek Prince once said, when he was teaching on this passage uh, and, and on the subject of money, he said, your attitude to money reveals your attitude to God. In other words, if you love money, you'll not be able to love God. But if you love God, you, you won't love money. You'll, you'll hate mammon, not, not money itself, but that spirit. Of, of, of money being a God, spirit of, of loving money, chasing money, serving money, a spirit that maligns people's attitudes to money. And so, because Jesus says no, no one can serve two masters. He doesn't say some of you will be able to. It's tricky, but I'm sure, you know, if you're clever enough. No, no, you, you cannot. So, so it's not a matter of whether you'll serve one or the other or whether you can try and serve them both. It's, it's just a matter of which one you will serve. So if you want to have the right attitude towards money, you've got to have the right attitude towards God. And if you get the right attitude towards money, it'll, it'll help determine your attitude towards God. So how do we get the right attitude towards money? Well, the best way, as Jesus says here, is to serve God. Not serve money, but serve God. In other words, to put God first. And, and that's a heart decision, isn't it? To say, God, you're number one. I want to seek you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else is going to be added. I'm just going to seek you. And so we make that decision in our heart uh, as a commitment, a constant you know, consecration of our life to God. But it's also revealed and proven by our actions. It's not just a, a thing we say and sort of half believe but then do something different. What we really believe in our heart flows into what we do with our life, doesn't it? So we, we don't just say we love God. We actually pray. We actually love his church and we get connected and committed and serve, uh, you know, in ministry and in his church. And we, we, we don't just talk about loving people. We actually reach out to them and we witness and share our faith. And so we do things, don't we? And, and when it comes to our finances, God's given us two main ways to show that we can put him first, that helps us keep putting him first. And that is the tithe and offerings. And so when we put God first with our money by tithing and bringing an offering before him, our attitude and then our actions with money will, will, will get right. So um, what's the tithe? Well, turn back a few pages from the first book of the New Testament to the last book of the Old Testament. And it might only be a matter of four or five pages and you get to the book of Malachi. Because in Malachi... There's a very well-known passage on tithing. And as you probably know, tithe is, is an old English word, and it means a tenth. And so tithing is the practice of consistently putting aside the first 10% or the first tenth of our income for God. And, um, and God's made it easy to calculate, being a tenth. You know, if you're looking at any sort of number, you can just move the decimal place across. He hasn't made it a ninth or a an eighth or, you know, 7.8%. You don't need a calculator. 
So it's easy to calculate. It's actually easy to practice once you've set it in your life as a habit. But it's not so easy to start because it kind of flies in the face. And even now, perhaps you're sitting there thinking, oh, flip that, talking about money in church. What's going on? You know, because, you know, we, as I said, the Bible talks about money. But, yeah, it's, we don't like to really talk about it, do we? we, we and, uh, and when it's my money you're talking about, you're talking about giving money and 10% flip, you know. Medicare levy's only, you know, 1.5% or right. Because, you know, in some countries, they don't have uh, the need for many offerings in church. Some Scandinavian countries, you can give money at church if you like, but all the churches are run by the state because people are taxed. It's about 1% or 2%, so it's just like a Medicare levy in our country. So where Ruth lived in Denmark and I think most of the other Scandinavian countries, the state church, Lutheran church, I think mainly, aren't they? They're, um, they're just run by the government, by the people paying their taxes. You know? Well, of course, that's not the case in our country. Um, but God's principles go beyond our personal you know, feelings and worldly governments. And so we've got to decide whether we're going to live by God's kingdom principles or just our own you know, feelings, and then sort of throw God into the mix where it suits us. And um, so, uh, you know, as the Israelites found, they found it tempting and easy to avoid this practice of tithing. And that's why God spoke to them through the prophet Malachi. And in Malachi 3, there's this passage that describes some details about tithing and about the results of it and of not doing it uh, to God's people. And so if you read with me from about verse uh, 7, people say to God, this is a prophet speaking in a, a conversation of God speaking to his people. And God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Verse 10, God says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. This is a really powerful passage. I want you to notice five things. Five things. The first one is that they have been robbing God. You know, the call to tithing had been sent out more than a thousand years before this. And, and before the law of Moses, it was initially with, with Abraham, and he was tithing, but God had kept a record of how they had been stewards of their finances. And of course, agricultural society often talking about, you know, vines and fruit and their crops and, you know, so not just coinage, but, but their actual produce that they were dealing with, often, you know, like a, a basic bartering system, you know, having, you know, bushels of wheat and sharing that for whatever. Uh, and so God had been watching what they were doing with all their produce, all their income. 
And he's now giving them his perspective on how they've been running their finances, and he's not happy because they had not been tithing. And he says, you're robbing me. Why? Because the tithe is the Lord's. And this is, you know, a challenging concept. It's, it's not so much that we give, that we're generous when we tithe. We're just returning what God says is his. And right throughout history, you know, God's always had the challenge for people to put something aside for God. Right back in the Garden of Eden, what did God say to Adam and Eve? It's all yours. Oh, actually, it's not all yours. There's one thing. Don't touch that. That's mine. That's not for you to have. And so if we're going to live a life of consecration before God, it's not, like I said before, just I want to do my thing and ask God to just follow me along and bless me. It's for me to follow him and do things his way. And he says... The tithe is his. So I actually pay my tithe. I return my tithe. I don't think I'm particularly generous when I present a tithe before God. And if I don't, well, he says there that they were robbing him. The second thing is that the tithe is to be brought into God's storehouse and it's to be brought in for provision. So in the Old Testament, they had a a tabernacle originally and then they had the temple and they had the priesthood. And so all the people brought in their tithe and it helped function this whole ministry between God and people of the priesthood. Well, of course, in the New Testament, that's the church. It's a spiritual storehouse where we get food for our souls, isn't it? And, um, you know, this morning we've got opportunities for people to be healed. We're hearing of someone connected to Jesus, his church, ministry with others, and she's getting healed. And so we get healing, miracles, blessings, friendships, instruction, uh, and, and it's all available to us through Jesus and through the ministry of his church. I'd have to say, uh, you know, the best decisions I've ever made in my life have not been made just by myself in isolation but they've been made um, because I've heard something taught in his church and I've seen it modelled in his church. And, uh, you know, if you go through your life and if you've been following the Lord for a while, you'll think about, you know, major decisions about your what you do with your finances, your career aspirations, your, you know, where you will live, who you will live with, who you will marry. You know, I see people around here who met in the house of God and have married well and, and, you know, engaged their hearts together on a, on a pilgrimage together. Let's serve Jesus together. You know, that happens in the storehouse. There's a provision of of seed to make great decisions in our lives. We were with a couple last night, used to be in this church, and they moved away because of work. And they attribute, and their life is blessed. And it wasn't always. And they've, you know, when they're in our church here, they wanted to buy a home. And so through, you know, basic life skills kind of instruction that they picked up on, they saved uh, a deposit and bought a home and were able to move forward financially and they're in a very secure position in that respect. And in regards to their career, they've done well because they've made smart decisions and taken advice. At one stage, they went through a really tough time and they were very tempted to get hurt and uh, angry and upset and offended with a bunch of people. And we were involved in that situation with them and we encouraged them to be gracious and to forgive. And I knew what I was talking about, to let stuff go and to not 
you know, get all antsy. And today they're reaping the benefits of having that attitude. And that's not something that, again, I think I've arrived at all by myself, something I had learned through God's house and passed on as ministry. So there's provision. Um, in the storehouse. And that's why God says, I want food to be in my house, so I need people to bring the seed in to keep the storehouse going, to keep the doors of churches open in our country. The church is called a pillar of truth in society. Where are people going to get their lives sorted out? Not at the club. I'm sorry. It's not going to work. The pokies, even if they win, and it's probably the worst thing for them if they do, because they'll be back again, putting all their money down. You know, it's not just in the sporting club or at the knitting club or in arts or in just a career or whatever else the world's got to offer. Lots of fun, leisure pursuits, Sunday morning, you know, get into nippers or whatever. There's nothing like the house of God. And that, so that's a storehouse. And get this. We don't just get food for ourselves. We pick up bags of seed in the storehouse that we use to sow into the society around us. So you learn things that don't just benefit you. You go, this is good stuff. I'm going to share that. You know, wives learning to be good wives, helping their friend forgive their husband for being an idiot to save that marriage. You know, and that's necessary because husbands sometimes are dumb and need to be forgiven. And so, you know, there's ministry that goes out from the church into society. Um, and so... That's, that's why God calls it a, you know, a storehouse and, and he says, I want food to be in my house. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. The third thing about tithing is it's a test of our faith and it's also a test of God's faithfulness. So here's the challenge. God invites us to put him to the test, which is really crazy because it's the only place in the entire Bible that he does so. In fact, it flies in the face of general scriptural the tenant of, of, of Scripture. We're told in other parts of the Bible, do not test the Lord. Do not put the Lord God to the test. In fact, Jesus rebukes the devil and quotes Scripture from Deuteronomy saying, don't put the Lord God to the test. And yet here God says, okay, I know that, that's general rule, but here's one exception. In this, you may test me. Why? Because he knows it seems a bit weird. He just knows that everyone's like, what? And you, you know, you look around or read, you know, articles in the newspaper. Oh, this is one of the church, and they often have ads, you know, Hillsong. They only want your money, you know. They zoom in on the offering bags, you know. Oh, there, oh, you're a ten percenter, eh? Woo, you know, it's like some cult. Oh, you know. And God knows that you think, okay, I got a hundred dollars. I give ten away. I'll have ninety left. Duh, it's not that, you know. That's Less than a hundred. God says, put me to the test and you will be blessed and you'll have more than you had before. I'll open up the windows of heaven. You know, so God's saying, actually, you're going to have more. You have a hundred, you give me the tithe, you won't end up with ninety. You'll actually have more, somehow more than the original hundred. And your brain goes, no, no, you know, and I can't prove it. Uh, God, uh, hundred makes ninety. You know, <laughs> I'll give you a hundred bucks in my wallet there. I'm just a hundred, you know. But hello, somehow. The, you know, the Bible says the gospel is foolishness. It seems foolish sometimes, the things of God. It's, what's this? Yabba dabba doo business. This guy coming up here. And, uh, you know, what's that? that's, that's, 
That's, that's tongues. First Corinthians 12, 13, 14, you read about it. It's a spirit. And there's prophecy. And, and someone comes up and starts, you know, talking about a sickle or something. Or communism? What are we going on about here? You know, it's, you know, it's kind of a little bit out there, isn't it? Because it is out there. Called heaven out there. You know, we're not just, you know, we're not stupid. We're, we've got brains and we've got our feet on the ground and all that. But we're, we're also caught with something greater and there's a spiritual world that is real even if we don't see it and get it with our normal senses. And so this is what happens. We step into that spiritual, supernatural world when we tithe in a in, a, in, a, in a, a, a financial, practical way, the spirit moves and ends up resulting in physical changes. And that's why God says, put me to the test. I know you don't think it'll work, but if you test me, you will be testing my faithfulness. And God is God and he knows what he's talking about. And when he promises something, it will come true for those who meet the conditions of the promise. If you do this, I will do that. Yeah? And so that's the challenge. So tithing is a great opportunity, but it is a test. It is a challenge, even though it might not make sense. And I'll tell you in a moment a personal dramatic example of how it really does work. Um, The fourth thing about tithing is that it brings blessing. And I've touched on this because God says, I'll open up floodgates of heaven. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. Not floodgates of cursing or floodgates of natural disasters or floodgates of worry or floodgates from heaven. Heaven. You know, I will open up the floodgates of heaven and I will pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to contain it. Blessing. Everyone say blessing. The blessing of God. There's nothing like it. And you invite that upon your life when you tithe. He also says that there's prevention from the enemy. There's protection for our material world. Verse 11 says, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. You know, the New King James Bible, perhaps you've got it, says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Implication being that there is an enemy called the devil, not just a physical thing, but there's a, in the same way God wants to bring a spirit of blessing, the devil wants to bring a spirit of lack and poverty on people. He loves it. When people are poor and bound up and worried and they're thinking about their money and they've got none to give to the church and God's ways and other people and they uh, you know, and they get, and then marriages break up and they, you want to get that off your life. And this is part of stepping into a zone where God's blessing you rather than the devil cursing you. The Bible says that the devil, this thief, Jesus calls him, comes to steal and kill and destroy. A devourer. But God says, I'm going to rebuke him off your life. I'll get him off your life. If you tithe, he's got no power to steal and kill and destroy from your life. So that's a safe place. That's a good place. And so tithing is an insurance against difficult times of finances. So you go through difficult times, you know, and whether it's a depression or a recession, you know, financially, the world can be going through stuff, but you, your finances, your personal finances, your business, you can thrive, you can succeed. God will protect you. He will keep pouring out blessing. Now, I read the other day an account of a pastor of a church in Canada in the 1930s, in the Great Depression, worldwide Great Depression, from 1929-ish to 33, who was it? Sorry, don't want to point anyway. But, you know, it was around that time. And this pastor, he, um, he had, um, 
he kind of did a bit of a survey. He had hundreds of men come to him asking for financial assistance. And while he tried to help them, he also asked them, okay, when you were on your feet financially, before the depression hit, were you a tither? Did you go to church and did you tithe? Not one of them had ever been a tither connected, committed in the local church. And so he just made that observation. I thought, yeah, that's interesting. Those who you know, had been tithing, and I wasn't around then and don't know anyone who, who was, but I imagine that in that time of Great Depression, God's people who had been faithful tithing in his house, no matter what financially was going on, somehow God would have helped them get through it. Um, so tithing brings blessing. And the fifth thing, tithing honours God. It honours God because it shows how serious we are about following him. We're actually you know, putting him first in our life. So that's a, it's a, a sense of honour in our practice. It builds his church because it provides for you know, uh, the work that God wants to do in his name to be done, like for us, surviving ministry, missions, and 101 finances, all that stuff. But it also brings blessing into people's lives, which glorifies God because it shows, hey, God is moving in their life in a real way. This person who's a tither does not have less. They end up with more. They seem to get blessed. And so that's a ministry and a, and a message to other people. So, uh, you know, let me tell you about Ruth and myself and then we'll, we'll finish up. Um, you know, we've been married nearly 25 years. We came into marriage, both committed Christians, tithing. So we didn't have a, a struggle or an issue with it. Um, and uh, I think we worked through the thing of, oh, do you tithe before you know, tax or not? And we decided to be more generous than not. So we thought, all right, we'll tithe on the, on the gross. Um, and, uh, and, it, and yet, it ha- now, on one hand, it, it hasn't always been easy because of seasons of financial challenges. But on the other hand, We've never gone without, and our children have never gone without. Three of the four of them are here, and they, I think, one, two, three. And the other one's in Canberra in church this morning, um, down there uh, at the, in the army. Uh, and all four of them would testify, and you can ask them afterwards, uh, you know, uh, they've never really lacked uh, anything. And so we've, we've been blessed. And um, in fact, family members, our extended family members, have marveled at how we have not just managed, but seemingly have everything we need. Uh, because they've known, you know, that we've been on a very, you know, modest uh, salary for um, most of our married life. And, um, and yet God's looked after us. And so we know and they know that it's God's blessing. It's a testimony to tithing and that honours God. And let me give you a specific example. In 1990, we'd been married married for three years uh, and we had a mortgage in Sydney on a house there and uh, Ruth stopped working. So we went from two incomes to one income. She stopped working to have um, our first child, Hudson, who's down in Canberra. And at that time, not only did she stop working, but my company was taken over and we were all retrenched, except for the one pretty secretary that they kept. Um, and it wasn't me, no. Did my best, shaved my legs, wore a short skirt, and they somehow mistook me. Um, 
And we all took bets in the office. We all said, oh, they'll keep Michelle. Yeah, and sure enough, they did. Uh, but everybody else, um, now my boss, who got retrenched, ended up offering me a job somewhere else, but it was on less income. And I'd had quite a good income in this financial planning world. So we went from having two incomes to no income, and then one income that was less than my original one. Hudson was born in uh, that year. And get this, uh, interest rates, can I see, can you show us, interest rates hit the highest ever rate in the history of our country, 17% was our mortgage rates. Can you see that graph? On this left-hand side, it starts showing from 1959 when they kept starting these records. They're down in 5% area. And now we're up here in 2010. We're up around the 7 or 8%. That peak right there is 1990. 17 flipping percent. I remember being jealous of a friend of mine who had got his mortgage a year or two earlier and it was capped maximum of 13.5%. And I was jealous. As in paying 13.5%. That was good. Our interest rates went to 17%. As I said, highest ever historically. So here's an opportunity for God to do a miracle because God loves situations like this. It, and so um, we had something like 70% of our total after-tax income going to pay the mortgage. So there just doesn't seem to be enough money for everything. In fact, we, we did a budget and it didn't add up. It couldn't add up. It didn't matter what I did, you know. Sell Hudson. Uh, you know, it just, I, 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 I didn't have any motorbikes to sell. It was like that, I had nothing else, had nothing to, you know. So, so it was very, very tight. But we continued to tithe and I would get all the bills and I'd put them on my desk and I would get the Bible and the promises of God and I would get this passage from, and I would lay it over the top and I would just pray. And I would say, God, I'm calling your promises to account and I am looking for those windows of heaven and we are tithing and we are looking for your miraculous provision here and we need those floodgates to be open. And they stayed open and we did never get into debt. We didn't end up with a credit card bill that we couldn't pay off in full every month, never paid one cent of interest on our credit card. And at the end of 1991, when Pastor Phil, having had the communist government collapse in Russia, say to us, you want to go to Russia? And we said, yes, we were in a position to respond and go within months. We, wa we waited for Eleanor to be born in May, even though Pastor Phil said, I had the baby over there. And we said, actually, we've heard of Russian ch uh, hospitals. Would you mind? Oh, okay, you can wait, yeah. But we were able to uh, sell our house and we had no consumer personal debt, which is very important if you want to follow the call of God because we didn't get held up by, oh, we'd love to go, God, pastor, you know, call of God. But, you know, hey, the credit card company won't let me go. So we were blessed and we had paid every bill on time and that was important, like I said, so we could follow the call of God. And so that was a... a really special time and you look back and times of test become a testimony for the future and uh, if you have a challenge then I want to encourage you uh, you go before God and you continue to do things God's ways and he'll look after you and so uh, let's keep our attitude towards money right by putting God first in every area of our life including our finances 
And be encouraged. If you're a tither, you keep believing for that open heaven. And, and, and if you've never tithed or if you've stopped because other financial commitments have come and you've got bills and all that, then why don't you follow God's invitation? You go and prayerfully read the scriptures for yourself and make your own decision. And, uh, and I throw that out as, a, as an invitation, I guess a challenge if you like. Um, but it's certainly a challenge that comes with great promise of blessing. And God is a good God and wants to prove it for us in every area of our life. Amen? Well, let me finish with prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are awesome. God, you're, you're Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. And Lord, we want to live your way. God, we want to follow your call and do things your way in our life. And again, I thank you for your love and your spirit of, of grace, of forgiveness, of redemption here this morning. And also of, of the, the walk of faith, the call to live not by sight but by faith to trust you, to believe in you. Uh, for our finances, I pray for this. And, and Lord, in our, in our community of faith, I pray that each of us able to trust in you where we're at as you, as you are building, building your people, building your church, building us into the community. And you know, this morning, if you're here today and you want to you give your life to God, if you've never done it before, then at the end of the service, I want you to come and see me or someone who maybe has brought you to church. And I want you to consider the claims of Christ, if you haven't ever seriously done that before, who Jesus is and who he wants to be in your life. Because he wants you to be in his family. And it doesn't happen automatically. It happens if you make a decision to give your life to God, to lay your life down. And he'll give you the very best life you'll ever have. If that's you this morning, to make that commitment or a recommitment then why don't you do that today before you leave here? Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about this free podcast so they too can grow and learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at www.c3cc.org.au. God bless you.